Heavenly Father, we lay hands upon your word. But it is your word that imparts your life, your wisdom. Because it is written, in him was the life, and the life was the light of man. And the word became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. This holy book is what sustains us, what carries us, brings life, healing, health, and blessing to us. And if we obey this book, if we do what is written in your word, then we will prosper in all of our ways. So open our minds, open our understanding, so that we could understand what the word says and what the will of the Lord is for our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here in the house of the Lord. This has been a remarkable weekend so far. Friday night, this place was packed with people coming into prayer. They, some of them brought blankets, some of them brought some stuff to drink and, and little baskets like picnic baskets, whatever, have something if they were hungry at the night, doesn't matter. But they came, some people came with a little blanket. If they got tired, they slept a while and then joined up with the flow of the prayer. And uh, this went on right until Saturday morning. The anointing in this building over this weekend was unspeakable. I cannot even begin to, those people that were here will know what I'm talking about. If you missed out, you really missed out on something remarkable. It's just like that. And tonight we'll continue in the final hour of this prayer event and we'll be doing spiritual warfare. We have a thing called uh, the uh, Halloween coming up. And of course we know, just like everything else, there's a lot of idol worship there. And there are demons and people are frightened and there are all kinds of spook stories, if you will, and ghosts and demons and masks and scary things and witchcraft and divination and sorcery and idolatry, which quite frankly, God judges from heaven above. Make no mistake, have no part in it at all. So we'll see you tonight and uh, I hope that everybody will be, even those people watching over the internet, you should really do your best to come to the second service instead of just watching over the internet. Unless you're a long way from church, then you should be right here and with us. These are serious times. We find ourselves in extremely serious times. And if somebody doesn't get that message yet, and they're floating around in society on a Sunday, which is the day of the Lord, and uh, instead of being here in the house of the Lord, this is not a time to backslide. This is only a time of commitment. Can you say amen? This weekend has done something to the church, for the church, and through the church. We touched heaven's throne. And we know that God is going to move in our nation. Can you say amen? Now, I'm talking about the prayer life of the prophet Elijah today. And there are so many things to say, actually, because I've been researching this since Monday, and I spent most of the week just doing just that, that I realized that you can take one chapter and you can speak for weeks just on the one chapter. But I'm going to go to um, the well-known book of James, chapter number five, verse number 16, and in the B section, I'm just going to pick it up where it talks about Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
Then the words, the effectual, fervent, fervent, which is really the word energeo, energetic, powerful prayer of a righteous man who is in right standing with God, avails much, releases the power of God. You must know that prayer is God's weapon of mass destruction. By the power of prayer, we break Satan's power over South Africa. We break Satan's power over the economy. We break Satan's strongholds within the political systems, whatever they may be going on there. We break his power, even over droughts and all sorts of things that could come over the country. But by the blessing of the Lord, we've had good rain so far. So give the Lord a praise offering, everybody. <laughs> Hallelujah. I've been looking forward to this. It says here, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The word here for avails is, is that strong or is that able, is powerful, very much so. And then it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months, three and a half years. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Now, this man, Elijah, if you turn with me to second, first Kings chapter 17. I'm thinking now of a picture which I have actually would be on this computer too of King Ahab's palace in Shomron, I want to say, Samaria, Shomron. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be no dew, neither dew, nor rain, anything like that, in these years, plural, except at my word. And so the Lord came to him, the word of the Lord, and saying, these words go away from you, turn each word, each word, and uh, hide by the brook Kerit, which means where you be cut off from all the danger. That's what it means there in the Hebrew now, and the Aramaic also, by the way. Go to Kerit, which flows into the Jordan. And it'll be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you here. Ravens fed this man, then a widow fed this man, and then an angel appeared under, while he was sleeping under a broom tree and fed this man called Elijah. The broom tree, of course, is a powerful uh, tree in the sense that if you look at it, it is known to provide heat. So it's more than just putting it to fire and say burn it. But it seemed that there was a 
this particular species of tree that if you compact the root system and uh, hold it there somehow or another, I don't even know exactly how it works, but it would give heat. Moreover, when you take the roots of the same tree and you bake it like bread, you can make a cake of bread. So an angel appeared to Elijah under the broom tree and he saw a fire and a cake of bread. Very possibly, very much so, of the broom tree. But at the same time, he ate and he went back to sleep. And then the angel appeared a second time to him and said to him, now go, because you need this food. And he had his double portion of food right there under the broom tree. Then he was able to walk all the way to the mountain of God. But let me not get ahead of myself. If you read about this prophet Elijah, it's fireworks all the way. He is known as representing the entire, you have the law, Moses, and the prophets Elijah as being the most powerful of the prophets of the Old Testament. And so if you look at this particular image here, you see him departing and throwing his cloak down here. You have Elisha, the prophet, that's going to be catching that mantle, which is another thing which is amazing, called an adaret in the Hebrew language and in the Aramaic also, the adaret. So what can I say to you about Elijah? He is very, very inspiring to read all about him. He's a man of extreme fervency. You must know that his character his personality, his total being was that devoted and involved with God that there was no room for sitting around and compromising with any form of sin. This man was wholly given to God and purposed by God. And so God, the power of God, when God's power comes upon a man and equips a man, that specific equipping and you need to listen to what I'm saying now. That specific equipping is there to last you for a lifetime. And many people of the sons of the prophet, all the wannabe prophets, the sons of the prophet, and apparently according to what I research, is that there were hundreds of these. There were like 50 men of the sons of the prophets at Jericho watching him and Elisha. And then there were the same thing that happened up there at Bethel. And we see in the days of Samuel, the sons of the prophet, these, these sons of the prophets were always there. And then they had some measure because they spent their time seeking the Lord. And they had some measure of revelation. And uh, they would speak during that revelation to the prophet Elisha and said to Elisha, do you know, we also have revelation. Revelation comes through prayer, but it takes more in this life to get a mantle than just that. You better know, you better know that the mantle of the Lord does not come easy. You better know that it is God here in this church that will determine the future of this church and the mantle of this platform. Do you know that your master will be taken from above your head, said those sons of the prophets to him. What does that mean? That the master of Elisha 
will be taken away over his head. What does that mean? Elisha was his cover. Elijah was his covering. The covering of Elisha. Elisha had a covering. And he had to be well devoted. Here you see the laws, spiritual laws of mentoring coming in very powerfully. But let me not run ahead of myself. The word that I caught some time back in my research was just in some source that I put in memory and I just didn't forget it. Calling Elisha, Elisha the strenuous. And I want to read you from the dictionary, plural, some um, dictionary meaning to this word strenuous. Because he was a strenuous prophet. If anybody was strenuous, it was him. The word by definition means, think of his prayer life, think of his entire life, think of what he put into it, think of this man. Vigorously active, energetic, it means fervent, it means zealous to be on fire and inspired of God. It is marked by a calling for energy or stamina, where he would be completely devoted to God, even his life energy and stamina would flow out of his relationship with God. It means eager. Strenuous can mean earnest, ernstig, tenacious, determined, earnest, forceful, resolute, spirited, bold, tireless, infatigable, blistering. Now the difference is this, that some people of the sons of the prophets and some people in the history of the world of men and women that were committed to God were not really fully committed to God as they should have been. For them is like in modern day terminology would be a place where they buried them, this place in the ground and there would be maybe a cross over that tomb and uh, whatever, wherever the body of somebody is laid to rest and be maybe just a cross on the ground or there would be a marble floor or something to remember so-and-so that lays there and whatever. He, Elijah, didn't leave by a hole in the ground. He left with a chariot of fire during a whirlwind that came down and whirled around them. Look at the image again. The whirlwind, and then in that whirlwind, he dropped the adaret. Now, when you get to the adaret, that, of course, is now another story altogether. But he goes to Ahab, and he says, Thus saith the Lord God. There shall be no rain or dew in this country except by my word. And then, of course, the Lord says to him, now remove yourself. And he goes to this place where he was fed by the ravens. Elijah's story is remarkable. What comes into focus about him is that he is the restorer. Now, thinking about his life, there are many things I could say about his life, but if you think about his life, if you go to the incident, if I now go, for example, after many days, 
This is in 1 Kings 18 verse 1. Um, it came to pass after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go now and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain to the earth. James 5 tells us that Elijah was praying. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab, you know, I call him a weakling. This king was just a weakling. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. That's verse 3 now, sorry. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For it was that while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 of them and hidden these prophets 50 to a cave. You see, there's some more of these sons of the prophets. And had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, now go into the land to all the springs, the water and the brooks. Perhaps we will find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way and Obadiah went the other way by himself. Now Obadiah was on the way. Then suddenly Elijah met him. Suddenly, he didn't expect what would happen next. You see, Elijah prayed three and a half years, no rain. Three and a half years later, he prayed again and the world received the planet and more so the area of northern Israel or Israel as they know were known corporately received the rain. And it was that God was setting up an occasion, a date, three and a half years forward. And so Obadiah was terrified by what he saw. And he recognized him. And he fell to his face. And he said, Is that you? My Lord, Elijah, imagine yourself in that situation. And he answered him, it is I. Now go tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, how have I sinned that you are delivering your servant to the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he's not there, he took an oath from that kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now how do you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass that as soon as I'm gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord, notice that one, Acts chapter 8, Philip the evangelist, will carry you to a place I don't know. It was known in those days to happen. So when I go to tell Ahab that I can't find you, he'll kill me. But Elijah said, he said, uh, and he of course tell, talks about hiding the prophets 50 to a cave. And now you're saying, you tell your master in verse number 14, Elijah is here, he will kill me. But Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts live before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. Well, the story, there's so much to talk about here. But now the land is under a curse. There is no rain. There is no fruit in the fields. There is a famine. The horses don't have water. There's no grass. 
that brook, Keret, Keret, had literally dried up. So the Lord said to Elijah, go now to Tzafat, Tzarephat, Tzafat. Go there. I have commanded a widow to feed you. So he goes there. And in that period of time, there's, of course, miracles that take place there too. Miracles too much to talk about. So in that period of time, the Lord finally comes to him and says, now go and present yourself. Elijah faces Ahab, a total weakling. When it comes to his wife called Isophel, Yisophel, Isabel, Jezebel, when it comes to his wife, she cannot, they can't control or govern people and they would willingly serve them. So she would, by divine, non-divine, by witchcraft, divination, and sorcery, she would then manipulate people, even the king himself. He was like a puppet in her hands. So the king comes and he finds Elijah. Elijah says, now gather to me in this land where there is now a curse. Gather to me all the prophets, 450 prophets of Baal or Baal. Go and find also the 400 prophets of Asherah, Asherah. Go now and find them and bring them together. Bring them to the Mount Carmel and I will meet with you there. So, of course, this man Ahab, he's just like a puppet. He just goes, he does exactly what Elijah tells him. The stand down three and a half years forward date now happens. A major stand down. But I want you to notice here what actually happens. In this chapter, the Bible describes, the Bible tells us that Elijah built the altar of the Lord. That altar in my life, I have always seen as the altar of prayer. This church is a praying church, has been a praying church from day one. The first thing we did was to institute Saturday morning prayer meetings. They have been ongoing, will be ongoing until Jesus Christ returns. There's a class of people called intercessors. These are like in America, where they would say uh, the American seals, they are just a leg bunch, and uh, or the Green Berets, or something like that. They were the mighty men and women of valor throughout the ages that carried forward the church. They were the people of prayer, and they come to the altar of prayer. Elijah restored the altar and prayed. He took twelve stones. I was up in Uganda. And I could see everything. They would try to impress me with things they were doing there as a church in Uganda. And I'm looking at a different thing. I'm looking at the state of the nation. I'm looking at what things are like in Uganda. Again, I saw all the potholes on the ground. And I saw the wild traffic as we went into that place. I thought, well, you don't go into this city without a 4x4. The man that fetched us drove a 4x4. And we went in there and we preached there in the national stadium, but I also went out to speak to leaders on the side of Uganda, in Kampala, should I say. Kampala, the city of Kampala. I went outside there in the field, and then I preached about Elijah and how he restored the altar of God. And I said, now, 
I want 12 men from among you. Go find me 12 big stones and bring it right here, right by the city of Kampala. Bring it here. Those men, they were so fleeting. They, was, they were huge men. They're tall men. And they ran as if they were endless in energy. They came back with these huge stones. They were carrying them. And we built an altar to the honor of the Lord. And I said, this day God restores prayer in this nation. All this prayerlessness stuff has got to go. Because prayer is sacred speech. Sacred speech from a Holy Spirit heart. A spirit-filled life person, a spirit-filled heart in the fear of the Lord. It is sacred speech. It separates you like the brook carrot. It cuts you off from the rest of the world. Prayer is that powerful that when it goes into levels, it begins to be more powerful, like if you, you talk about uh, intercessions, uh, if you have got prayer like Paul speaks to Timothy, prayer, intercessions, giving of thanks, and, and, uh, and uh, also, if you about that word smirkinge, there we have the word which is, is, is in Greek. It's the Greek word deesis. Now, this Greek word deesis tells you that prayer goes to the next level. Now, when prayer goes to the next level and the person is active and there's fasting involved, prayer of the next level, more intense with fasting, now comes revelation. Do you think the prophetic anointing just comes like it just comes? Do you think that anybody just says, well, you know, now I'm a prophet. They go around doing that sort of stuff. You see that going. You see people. But do you know? Do you know? Do you know what price this prophet Elijah was praying? Paying. The devotion of this man was strenuous. His life was strenuous. He left in a chariot of fire. This is a man from the moment you hear his name, because he comes from but across the Jordan River, not very far there, close to the brook Kerit where he was going to hide now. Then he would go up to the mountain and he would challenge. There was a standoff between the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. These prophets also had in their midst the temple prostitutes. Every kind of perversion that you can concoct in any man's mind that is of a fallen nature, that is void of God, any kind of sexual activity was taking place in the midst of those temples. Even you find that in Ephesus. They were going on. But God was watching this. God is not mocked. What is wrong is wrong. What is right is right. The day comes that there will be a shaking in the land. So they arrive there and they build an altar. And he begins to mock them. And he says, the God that answers by fire, he's the one that's God. 
Now we know in research, now I'm talking biblical archaeology as a subject, that these people of these um, cults, idol worship, would build altars, but they did it at the temples, and then under would, underneath they would have ducts like chimneys, and they would go under, but it wouldn't be seen from outside. You can only see it when you go underground. So they build an underground chamber, they make a fire, and then they would light up through those chimneys the wood and whatever was on that altar. And then they would call upon those names of those gods, and then they would have the fire come through to the top. And the people would think that's completely supernatural. It was never supernatural. Now that comes from archaeology, and that is confirmed through archaeology. So it's a very interesting subject, that one. But the point is, in the case of Elijah, he got three jars of water and filled it again with three jars and again until he had 12 in total over the 12 stones. He poured the water into the ditch all around the altar and on top of the altar there is no way in the world that that would burn. Like even you put a hundred secret fires underneath, it would not because it's all completely wet. And they could see it. He did something which was different. The God that answers by fire is the God, and he's still God Almighty. So this man prays, and he said, Lord, today, let it be known in Israel that you are God above all. You are the only God. He is the only one. He is the only God that is worth serving and still. Our modern day society is filled with idolatry. It is infested. But let it be known today that I have done all this at your word. He's speaking sacred language. The language of the separate and the separated ones. He speaks and power goes up to heaven, and the next thing God answers, and a fire falls that literally licks up all the water, even in the ditch around. When those people saw the explosion of flames, they said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No other name has been given under heaven by which a man can be saved except by the name of Jesus Christ. No other name. And of course the people now are stunned by the spectacular explosion of power. He does that at the altar of the 12 stones. And he does something extraordinary that everybody now knew that it was not Baal. It was not Ashira. Ashira was the wife of Baal, by the way, and seen to be in control of the rain. So Elijah walks in and says, there's going to be no rain. So for three and a half years, no matter what they did, and cut themselves, and carry on, and carry on, until finally there's a showdown. They go to the mountain. 
And then he says something. Now that God has, has displayed his magnificent power, now he says, okay, what you now do is capture these prophets of Baal and Asherah, take them down to Nahel Mukata, the brook Kishon. What does that mean? The ancient name is Nahel Mukata. What does that mean? The torrent, the river of slaughter. And kill them. Wipe them out. Take them out. There is just this amazing thing. That if we follow the story through from the broom tree, now he goes south. We follow the mountain, he's, he's rode through that, that desert all the way. It's about 180 kilometers traveling from that broom tree, the position of that down there at Bersheva. And then, of course, we know that he goes to the mountain of God. There's a cave. I stood at that cave when we were there at Horeb in the wilderness. And I looked at that thing. They got like cypress trees going up there by the cave of Elijah on the side of the mountain. Moses went on the top of the mountain. And uh, we looked at that. He went there. And of course, God speaks to him then, tells him to anoint Elijah, Elisha. Elisha, when the mantle of Elijah falls on him while he was busy plowing, he leaves everything. Cutting the story short, he leaves everything and he now follows the prophet Elijah. He becomes his servant. He watches him. But it would end with these words, if you see me when I am taken from you. It shall be as you asked. Asked what? Asked a difficult thing, said Elijah. What is the difficult thing? Kasak. It is a woman giving labor through great difficulty. If he said double anointing, you can't give what you don't have. But the faithful servant, which was both of them actually of God, but the faithful man that's with him and loyal and consistent and enduring and all the time you want faithful and loyal basically and he loved him as his father, my father, the chariots of Israel as he saw the, the horse going up and the chariot going up in fire into heaven. What a spectacle that must have been when that took place. He shouted out and then he said, this thing that you're asking a double portion you're praying for a double portion. You've been seeking. It's been your desire. And let me tell you something. What you're asking is like a woman with a very difficult giving of birth process, giving birth in great difficulty. It's going to be painful. It's a hard thing. It'll be hard. It'll put pressure on you that you didn't know that even existed. When a woman goes into the maternity ward for the very first time and think for yourself if it's a woman and already there are complications and this thing is dangerous and they have to battle these days. The doctors, of course, just do cesarean. You know, they just do that stuff now. But that's not the way that God created them. It's just never been that way. All four of my children came through natural childbirth, I might say to you. But if there's complications, if there are difficulties, there are pains, there's agony. The woman is at the edge of death sometimes. Some have even died during childbirth. 
He says to him, you have asked that sort of thing. Because the standard was set by Elijah. And Elijah knew exactly what he was doing. And he had all the time, the thing that strikes me about this is there was not a single place where God didn't find Elijah. And when they walked together, every step of the way, God was present with him. And the angels accompanied them. And now he said, you want to go a level above. You want to go to double portion. So I close with this. Say, go to a double portion? Right. So, he, he catches the mantle. He tears his own mantle. And he passes through the Jordan River supernaturally with a miracle. And now we know that we started reading James 5 and verse 17, that there were three and a half years no rain. He recorded Elijah 16 miracles. Elisha 32 miracles. Elijah, three and a half years, no rain. Second Kings 8 verse 1, Elisha, eight years, no rain. I mean, seven years, no rain. When it comes to getting something more than what you are used to, you're going to have to know that it takes that consecration to that level, your prayer life, everything to that intensity it's going to take you there you might get tired you might get like whatever but if you're strenuous you continue regardless and you keep your focus and if you see what happens spiritually and you understand then God at the appointed time gives or imparts a gift that would be more and it was happened to be more than what Elijah had during his lifetime but Elisha now had to live up to it for the years that would come. 32 miracles would come from his life. And in his case, seven years of drought. Second Kings chapter number eight. Prayer can change this country. Tonight, I believe prayer will change this country. We need to restore the altar of prayer. Prayer is the sacred language of the human lips connected to the spiritual heart. Prayer is the sacred language that is the passageway into righteousness and righteous living. Prayer is the sacred language that Jesus said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Prayer is that which separates any person away from this world and what the world can do and how the world can help when God is there and He says, I can help you. But you need to pray. Give the Lord a praise offering everybody. Amen. Let's stand and give God a good praise offering, everybody. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, I look at many people in this place today. And if I look at all these people, I can say to myself over and over, what potential stands here in the midst of us? And if I look at these people, I also know the same calling, the same devotion, to become strenuous is a huge thing. It becomes a powerful thing when God is in the picture of our lives. I thank you, Lord, that you've heard the prayers of the people of this weekend and you will continue to hear their prayers. I pray that tonight will be a nation-changing experience. I thank you for that and I bless all the people here 
In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his countenance over you, be gracious to you. The Lord grant you eternal salvation and peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, Amen.